We have a big development in the investigation of Alec Baldwin after that deadly shooting on the set of the movie Rust. Last night, a tragic accident took the life of Owen Hart. He was 34. One of Hollywood's most prolific and famous martial arts stars has died. Oh. David Carradine was found dead in Bangkok, Thailand. A spokesman for the U.S. Embassy there says the actor died either late Wednesday or early Thursday. This is Red Rum, stories about the true victims of crime. In this episode, we're doing something a little different and talking about three freak accidents involving celebrities that cost people their lives. In October of 2021, a cinematographer, Helena Hutchins, was working on a feature film called Rust. Helena had grown up on a Soviet military base in the Arctic and moved to LA after meeting her husband, Matthew. They moved to LA together and Helena worked on over 30 feature films, short films and TV series. She worked a lot and in 2019, American cinematographer Magazine named her one of the top 10 up-and-coming directors of photography who are making their mark. Helena was working as director of photography for the Western film Rust, which was a small budget passion project for writer and director Joel Souza and Alec Baldwin, who was starring in and producing the film. The production had a 21-day filming schedule and had started filming on the 6th of October 2021. On the 21st of October 2021, some of the cast and crew were at the church at the Bonanza Creek Ranch and they were preparing for a scene and it was a gunfight scene that they would all be doing later on that day. The details on what exactly happened are sketchy, the affidavit and the lawyer's account of what happened are slightly different but I'll give you the best version I can based on the source material. Ultimately, there was a camera operator on a camera dolly and he was there and he was with two other people. One of those was the director Joel and one of them was the cinematographer Helena. The three of them had to reposition a camera to eliminate a shadow that was on set. And so as they were doing this, at the same time, Alec Baldwin decided to get the gun that was going to be used in the scene later on and show the crew exactly what he was gonna do so that they could be prepared for it. The scene itself involved his character taking a gun out of a holster and then pointing it towards the camera. And as he did that, he said, quote, so I guess I'm gonna take it out pull it and go bang. And when he did that motion, a single shot fired and the projectile fired towards the three crew members in front of him. It struck two of those crew members. One was Joel, the director, and it hit him in the shoulder. And the other was Helena and it hit her in the chest. I didn't pull the trigger. So no. you never pulled the trigger? No, 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 no. I, I would never point a gun at anyone and pull a trigger at them, never. An FBI report, however, stated that the gun could only be fired if the trigger was pulled, and testing on the gun itself showed that there were no mechanical defects, which ruled out accidental discharge from any kind of mechanical failure. Because this was a sort of practice, the cameras weren't actually rolling, and so there was no footage of the events that had just unfolded. You say you never pulled the trigger, but the gun went off. That will right. not make sense to people. If a bullet comes out of a gun, they say, well, then someone fired. You're familiar with your this did not come from me. This came from the DA's office themselves. You're familiar with what fanning a gun is. Have you heard of that phrase, fanning a gun? Yes, but explain So it. if you pull the hammer back and you don't lock the hammer, if you pull the hammer back pretty far, in old Western movies, you'd see someone fan the hammer of the gun. The hammer didn't lock, 
you pulled it back to an extent where it would fire the bullet without you pulling the trigger. There's only one question to ask here. Who put a live round in the gun? That's it. One of the onset crew called for emergency services and they arrived three minutes later. Both Joel and Helena were rushed to hospital and Joel was actually discharged the very next day with that shoulder injury, but Helena wasn't. She was pronounced dead that same day. The production of Rust, the movie, was suspended and an investigation was launched. On the day after Helena died, Alec Baldwin sent out a tweet and also spoke about how he was fully cooperating with the police investigation. And this is where things get weird. The entire team, the crew, the cast, lawyered up. Not surprising given what had just happened. But one of the people who lawyered up was Hannah Gutierrez-Reed, the head armorer and ultimately the person who was responsible for the weapons on the set. Hannah's dad, who is a well-known armorer himself, said that there was a lot of motive for the incident to be sabotage. And Hannah's lawyer made the claim that sabotage may have been involved. Is it, um, I, I just no, want to be crystal clear. Is that are, are you saying that potentially those that were unhappy, this disgruntled crew members who had walked off the set, that they're potential suspects in your mind of intentionally placing a live round to prove a point in your words? Well, I think, Savannah, you can't rule anybody out at this point uh, because we, we know a couple of facts. We know there was a live round in a box of dummy rounds that shouldn't have been there. At least one live round. Uh, we have people who had left the set, who had walked out because they were disgruntled. We have a, a time frame between 11 and 1, approximately that day, in which the firearms uh, at times were unattended. So there was opportunity uh, to, to tamper with this scene. And yes, we're looking at that possibility. The district attorney made it clear that there was no evidence to back up the lawyer's claims. Either way, it became clear from that interview that Hannah had not checked the gun properly. The safety coordinator, who was also the assistant director, did plead guilty to neglectful use of a deadly weapon, and he was sentenced to six months probation and $500 in fines. Hannah's lawyers said that the guns were left completely unattended from 11am to 1pm, and that also Hannah was essentially overworked doing another job she'd been assigned to. They also said that Hannah wasn't in the rehearsal because it wasn't set up or planned to be using the gun at that specific time. That was scheduled for later in the afternoon. Hannah's lawyers said that they planned to present evidence that Hannah asked the assistant director and safety coordinator to call her back into rehearsals if Alec was going to use the gun, but that never happened. Both Hannah and Alec were charged with involuntary manslaughter and if found guilty, they would both be facing up to 18 months in prison. Hannah's lawyer tried to get the case dismissed, but he wasn't successful. And so she entered a plea of not guilty to the involuntary manslaughter and evidence charges. But Hannah was also charged with tampering with evidence and that's related to her allegedly trying to hide a small bag of a class A drug on the night of the fatal shooting. Her trial is set for late 2023 or early 2024. Alec Baldwin's lawyers announced in April of this year that the charges against him had been dropped. Helena's family filed a wrongful death suit against Alec and Hannah and a number of other people that were involved with the production company. 
that case was settled out of court and it actually led to Hannah's husband, Matthew, becoming an executive producer on the film, which was due to start reshooting soon after. The company, Rust Movie Productions, actually ended up paying a $100,000 fine because of a number of things that had happened, including in the days before this fatal shooting, there were two misfires that had happened on the set. Much before these misfires and the fatal shooting, Hannah had spoken on a podcast about one of her first jobs as head armorer on a film that starred Nicolas Cage. In that podcast, she says that she wasn't sure she was ready for that job. In May of 1999, the wrestler Owen Hart, who was signed to one of the biggest wrestling rosters of all time, WWE, spent the Friday with his family. Owen had two children with his wife, Martha, and the four of them spent the day together hanging out. And then, when the two children went off to bed, Owen and Martha settled down to spend some time together, just the two of them. Owen told Martha he was concerned because of his upcoming wrestling match. This was a little odd to Martha. Owen had been wrestling pretty much his whole life. He was from a wrestling family and most of his siblings had become professional wrestlers just like him. Owen signed with WWE, known then as WWF, in 1988 and he'd been wrestling well before that. He worked all around the world, including for New Japan Pro Wrestling. So by 1999, it wasn't a normal thing for Owen to get unnerved about upcoming matches. He was a super confident wrestler. But he was worried about this particular match because he was doing a stunt that involved him being lowered into the ring, being held by a wire. He'd be going from the very top of the arena and then into the ring, so from really, really high up and being lowered down. It's been reported that Owen was scared of heights and didn't want to do the stunt. During that conversation with his wife, Martha, Owen told her that if anything ever happened to him, he'd want her to find someone else for the sake of their children. Martha sort of shrugged this off and it was at that time that they decided to go to bed and then in the morning when they woke up, Owen got a ride to the airport but instead of going on his own, he decided to take his son with him. During that car journey, he told his son that he was the little man of the house and so when Owen was gone, when he wasn't there, it was his son's job to look after his mum and his sister. Owen arrived as planned and he had a match that night and all went as planned. The following day, the Sunday, 34-year-old Owen arrived for setting up for the match that night. That night's show was over the edge in Kansas City. Owen did a rehearsal with the equipment he'd be using that very night for that stunt and everything went pretty smoothly. After that rehearsal, Owen began to get ready for the evening. He went back to his dressing room, he got all of the things ready that he needed and then he headed to the top of the arena to strap himself into the harness and get ready for his stunt. The costume he was wearing was the blue blazer gimmick. Now he was wearing this costume that included a cape and the stunt was to get lowered before pretending to be all tangled up and then falling flat on his face. Once Owen was in the harness, he started his descent down from the top of the arena towards the ring, but he hadn't even gone very far when what seemed to happen was that the line seemed to snap and he fell 78 feet towards the ring. His body hit the turnbuckle and then the top rope before it was thrown into the inside of the wrestling ring. As well as the over 16,000 fans watching live that night's match, it was also a televised match, which meant that there were a lot of people watching it live. Now, this actual part 
that happened, him falling into the ring, wasn't televised. They cut to a still image, but you could still hear the commentary going on. Folks, uh, let's take you now to an interview conducted earlier tonight, and uh, we got big problems out here. They made the decision after that to continue on with the show. Now, obviously, everyone knew something had happened, including the wrestlers, the other wrestlers on that evening's show, but no one quite knew the severity of it at this point. Also, they didn't make an announcement in the stadium. So although the 16,000 people watching had seen this happen, some of them might have missed it and others tended to think that it was either a stunt or something had gone a little bit wrong, but it wasn't too serious. The EMTs worked tirelessly to revive Owen, giving him CPR inside the ring. He was soon transported to Truman Medical Center, but it was no use. He was pronounced dead on arrival and his cause of death was found to be internal bleeding from blunt force trauma. The impact had severed his aorta, resulting in Owen bleeding to death. I have the unfortunate responsibility to let everyone know that Owen Hart has died. There are no words that can express the profound sorrow felt today by so many of us who knew and loved this very special human being. Fans throughout the world shared a small portion of Owen's life through his various ring personas, but to know Owen Hart, the human being, was pure joy. The actual harness that Owen had been strapped into had a quick release mechanism, and this quick release mechanism was all part of the gimmick that he would need to release quickly so that he could fall onto his face once he was in safe uh, distance of the bottom of the ring. However, Owen's wife Martha suggested that perhaps as he was coming down he was trying to get comfortable with that huge cape on and the new safety mechanism because he hadn't used that safety mechanism ever before in a in a live match and so his wife Martha suggested that perhaps he was trying to get comfortable and get okay with that as he was going down and accidentally triggered that early release. There was a lot of focus on the harness and the quick release mechanism and ultimately Martha decided that she was going to try and sue the WWF for this and how badly planned the stunt was. Vince McMahon then tried to sue Martha basically saying that Owen's contract took responsibility for the possibility of injury. He also tried to move the lawsuit out of state to Connecticut, where WWE was based, so that there could be no punitive damages awarded. This wasn't allowed, and so the case continued, but ultimately, there was no criminal basis for voluntary manslaughter. The WWF ended up paying out $18 million to Owen's family, and Martha, his wife, got about $10 million of that, and she used most of that money to set up the Owen Hart Foundation. The foundation offers scholarships, housing, and a partnership program to support hardworking individuals with limited resources, but with unlimited potential. Tragically, Owen's brother, famous wrestler Brett, said that he wished he'd been in the same arena on that fateful night because he would have tried to convince Owen not to do the stunt. And it was reported in a CNN article in 1998 that Owen was planning on leaving wrestling soon. He didn't love being out on the road and other wrestlers commented on how little money he spent when they were out on the road and working. He was planning for his retirement. He wanted an early retirement so he could get home and spend time with his family. 
Actor David Carradine was born in Los Angeles in 1936 and is part of the Carradine family, full of well-known actors. His dad, John, was a huge actor, having appeared in a number of works and performing in a lot of stage work, including Hamlet and Macbeth. I know his brother Robert's work on that well-known 90s show Lizzie McGuire, but to be honest, most of his family are in the industry in some way, shape or form. David was most notably known for his work in Kung Fu and Kill Bill. He had a pretty turbulent childhood and his mum and dad didn't have a great marriage. They were continuously on and off, getting divorced and remarried. And David was just five years old when he first tried to take his own life. He would later say that he did this because he found out his brother had a different dad to him and he didn't know how to deal with that. Years later, David moved to New York City with his dad and it was there that he was cast in a TV adaptation of A Christmas Carol. His dad was cast as Ebenezer Scrooge. The following few years for David were spent in boarding schools and care homes and foster homes before eventually David landed himself in a reform home, which from what I understand is a little bit like uh, an alternative to prison for younger people. David had quite a few dealings with the law and in the 1950s he was arrested for assaulting a police officer and also for possession of marijuana. He then spent some time in the army and then in the 1960s when he left he became a lot more serious about acting. He got film roles in Taggart, Death Race 2000, Safari 3000, Children of the Corn, Kill Bill 1 and 2 and many, many TV shows. By all accounts, he had a pretty successful career and by the age of 72, he'd been married five times, he had three children and he had stepchildren as well. During his early career, David was arrested a number of times and in 1974, he was arrested for attempted burglary when he broke into his neighbour's house. He smashed a window to get in and cut his arm and he allegedly assaulted two women, asking one of them if she was a witch. He pleaded no contest and he was given probation and the woman in question was awarded $20,000. In 1980, David was arrested again for marijuana possession, but this time he was in South Africa because he was filming but he said he'd been set up and the apartheid government just wanted to get him because he'd been seen dancing with Tina Turner. The following few years would see him arrested twice more for being drunk whilst driving and then in 1994 he was arrested again. This time it was because he had kicked down a door at a Rolling Stones concert. He would later say that he only did this because he was being swarmed by fans and he wanted to try and get away from them. In 2009, David travelled to Thailand to film for the movie Stretch. On the 3rd of July, he planned to go to dinner with an assistant and a few other members of the crew, but his assistant couldn't reach him. A little while later, he called and asked where they were all at, but by this point, everyone was already across town and so he'd just have to make his own arrangements for the night. The crew didn't hear from him for the rest of the night and then the next morning at around 10am, a cleaning crew went into the hotel room to clean his room and that's when they found David dead and it was clear that he'd been dead for at least 12 hours. The media initially reported his death as intentional, that he'd taken his own life, but 
that information came out initially. However, when more information came out, it was clear that authorities didn't believe that he had intended to die that night. Thai police suggested that his death had occurred from accidental suffocation from autoerotic asphyxiation. They didn't find any suicide note and the cords that he had wrapped around him were wrapped around his neck, but they were also wrapped around his genitals. And the way that he was bound made it clear to them, at least, that it didn't seem as though he'd done this intentionally to take his life. A medical examiner hired by David's family to conduct an independent autopsy found that he had died from asphyxiation, but said he couldn't determine whether it had been an accident or a murder. The medical examiner was waiting for more information from Thai authorities to fully understand the details, things like toxicology tests and an analysis of items found in David's hotel room. Also things like CCTV footage and a log of room entries from the hotel's keycard system. Although the official cause of death remains to be from autoerotic asphyxiation, ABC News reported that David's fourth wife, Mariana Anderson, thought he may have been murdered and that the scene was staged to look like it was an accident or David's intention. She admitted that he was known to and enjoyed erotic asphyxiation, but said that he only ever did it with a partner and wondered if he was killed as part of a robbery. NBC Washington reported that he was found wearing a wig and fishnet tights and there was red women's lingerie on the bed by his side. Either way, David's wife Anne filed a wrongful death lawsuit against the filming production company, saying that he should have had an assistant with him to guide him around the area at all times and that that was something that was agreed on before. She believed the company was wrong to leave David alone on the night of his death. In 2011, TMZ reported that a $400,000 settlement was paid out in that wrongful death lawsuit. Thank you for watching this episode of Red Rum. Let me know what you think of these three deaths and the accidental nature of them, especially that last one. I do think it's an accident based on everything that I've read, but I'd be interested to hear your thoughts. So let me know down below. Other than that, I'll see you next week for another episode of Red Rum. Bye.